0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical.
1: This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie.
2: And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this
1: episode, we're talking about the attack on Pearl Harbor. So grab your declaration of war. And let's get civical. Hello
2: everyone. Hello. La, la, la. Well,
1: Gosh, you always interrupt when I'm about <laughs> to say welcome back to Let's Get Cynical with some sort of random sound, noise, or phrase. That, that I love was, when you do it's been a it's been a while since you did the la la laws, though, I will
2: say. I try not to break them out too often because it is a Seinfeld reference, and you know And we can't we you, can't have that just all we can't, the time we can't kill the joke if you do the joke too many times to the same audience it's just not funny anymore
1: they're gonna get bored and they'll oh, leave us and we yes. can't have that And I,
2: I bring very little comedy to this show that's your i completely disagree talent. I feel as though <laughs> you're
1: a snake in the grass always <laughs> a snake in ready the grass. to strike yeah what i love about you is when you do hit a really funny joke you'll always make sure that you tell me that that needs to stay in the episode so that people <laughs> hear your jokes. <laughs> and I'm just like, Arden, I would never cut out your joke. <laughs> I would never take away your time oh in the sun. My God. <laughs>
2: That's so funny. I do do that. That's really good. <laughs> I yeah. like, this one
1: yeah. was good. Leave it in. This one was oh, good. Please God. make sure
2: it's in Let's it. Make sure and it's and it. I'm, I'm way ahead of you. I'm you are. I'm way ahead of you Oh, always. my God. You've You've always had my back from the day I met you day one.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. But anywho, welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walantowski. And this is our second to last episode before we break for the new year, y'all. I can't even. I can't even. We can't even believe it. No. So we have this episode and then our episode next week, and then we're going to be taking a cute two-week hiatus as Mm -hmm. we always do yeah and then we'll be back in 2022 which is shocking to me so crazy so crazy um so yeah we're gonna it's gonna be like this one i feel like is really you know heavy and serious obviously and then next week we're gonna try to we we'll bounce back. Lift spirits back up. Yep, yep. And end on a high. But I felt we would be remiss to not do this week's episode on Pearl Harbor, considering that yesterday was the anniversary of the yeah. attack on Pearl Harbor. So, you know, we got to talk
2: about it. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten, this is episode 147, and somehow we've made it this far. We've never talked about Pearl Harbor. It's wild, right? It's wild. It's wild. And I, like, in doing the research for the for this episode, like, th- I mean, this whole period of history just is like a period of time that just, I, I mean, it is a very sad time, but for whatever reason, like, is makes me more sad than other moments in history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's just something about it that I've always been drawn to it. And so in doing this research... You know, it's a lot of death and very yeah. horrible, horrific death. And then doing the research for it, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to cry. Oh my <laughs> like God. I, I will cry in this episode. That's fine. Oh my God. Tear
1: alert. Oh
2: my God. I will cry. Um, yeah. Tear alert. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, just we've never talked about Pearl Have Harbor you... and it's time we do. It's time we do. Have you ever been to Pearl Harbor? Have you been to the site? No. I've never been to Hawaii.
1: Oh, well, first of all, <laughs> got to get you to Hawaii. Man. I get me to Hawaii. But secondly, and I know we're going to later in the episode, we'll talk about the actual site of Pearl Harbor, but I have been. Mm. And it's, it's one of those places that I'm sure, you know, it's probably what people feel about Ground Zero or yeah. any, or like Gettysburg, any place where there's been this like massive loss, tragic and horrific. Yeah. There's now that vibe of eerie serenity yeah and what's wild about the pearl harbor site is and again i will talk about this a little bit later but i i went when i was oh i think 17 oh wow and you and you learn about pearl harbor right this is one of the things i feel like that does you unify us across the education spectrum for the united states is the attack on pearl harbor because it's so unique in the fact that we've been attacked mm-hmm. very seldom, you yeah. know, other than 1776 and like 1812. You know, it's a, not something by a foreign entity. Obviously, the Civil War we attacked ourselves, but the right. idea of being attacked by a foreign entity is something that we can't really grasp. Right. Because it's happened p- profoundly twice in in history, and one being Pearl Harbor and the other one being 9-11. Mm-hmm. So anyways, to go there and see it as a 17-year-old knowing what's happened, um, and it's in Hawaii, which is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's obviously on the water, and so it's just like the calmness of water that is masking literally sunken battleships that are still leaking out oil and still like – basically decomposing within the water yeah and you just you can't wrap your head around it that this was the site of something so crazy profoundly tragic so yeah in hawaii i do recommend taking i mean it's not it's not a huge there's not a ton to see it would take just two or three hours of your day and it's yeah pretty easy to get to so i definitely recommend going to the site
2: I would love to go. I mean, I, I've been to to the beaches of Normandy, the right. Omaha beaches in, in Normandy, um, where they landed on D-Day. I think you would feel
1: the same type of yeah.
2: vibe. Yeah, it feels just very... Like, I remember... It's exactly what you're saying. I remember standing there, and I was with a very good friend of mine who's French, and her dad was taking us around to... Um, just around to various towns in Normandy, and we went to the beaches. And it was very it's just, it's like one of those feelings that stays with you. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't, but help. And it was a beautiful day and you can't yeah. help, but just stand there and like feel the, the like the presence of the people who were there and the, yeah the very like grave nature of the events that happened there. I mean, it's so palpable even today, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, And that's, it's the same feeling that I had when I went to Sachsenhausen in, in Germany, just outside Berlin, it was a work camp. And right. It's just you can't you you like feel the the human presence that was there. Yeah. It's yeah, so profound. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I would love to go see Pearl Harbor. That would be. That would be. I, I, again, will a hundred percent cry. Oh yeah. I walked into Sachsenhausen and just like wept, and my friend just like sure <laughs> like held me for like five minutes because I was like. Oh, my God. It just, like, hits you. Yeah. But I would love to see it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we'll talk more about the site itself a little bit later. But let's jump in to the episode in the notes. But before we do, do you want to talk about today's sources I'm seeing – some really great ones I'm very excited about. Yeah,
2: they're really good. So a lot of this is coming from the National World War II Museum website. Love. History.com, obviously. Obviously. An article. I was so when I like put Pearl Harbor into, you know, the Google search engine, there were like these news items that came up that were from basically today because mm-hmm. the is coming up. And so there were two like very lovely Pieces of news that are related to Pearl Harbor. So, we're going to talk about those. So, one is uh, coming from CNN, an article by Lauren M. Johnson. Mm-hmm. The other one is from Politico, it was an article by Brian Bender. And then some information I did not know this agency existed and I love I love when
1: we discover a new agency. I love
2: discovering a new agency and we should do like just a different like an episode on this agency cuz damn. Yeah. But so some of this is coming from the defense prisoner of war missing in action accounting agency great it's i mean you gotta have have an
1: agency you gotta have an
2: agency for people who get taken prisoner or are missing in action you gotta find somebody has to be in charge of finding these people or their remains and it's this agency so some of some stuff coming from them but yeah this is a this is a really this is a really uh powerful one to to read about and research absolutely because like we like you, we know the basic story of the attack, mm-hmm. but in researching it, I was like, "I don't really know like i mean i don't i I, I realized that I didn't really know why Japan was mad at us." <laughs> Sure. You know, I'm like, I don't Valid. Like get,
1: uh, Yeah, because yeah. it did feel like we weren't involved and then they attacked.
2: <laughs> right, right, right. We <laughs> and were then like, we okay. were involved. <laughs> right, right, right. Now we're <laughs> capital I involved. <laughs> okay, now, now you've gotten my attention. And relationship involved. status involved. Yeah. You know, so yeah. like, yeah, but I realized I was like, I don't really know why. I mean, I get like the big picture stuff of like, you know, it's a you know global war etc cetera, etc cetera. but i was like why japan specifically like what did we do right <laughs> so that was actually really fun to read about and i learned a lot and we'll you know talk about we'll talk it, about and it. the listeners will also learn a lot about why japan was not happy with us Matt. and we were not happy with them
1: sure yeah whoo well let's get into it and let's start with the very basic, which is what was Pearl Harbor, if you don't know, which it's totally fine if you don't. So let's talk about it. So Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, is located in the near center of the Pacific Ocean, roughly 2,000 miles from the U.S. mainland and about 4,000 miles from Japan. In, while World War II was just beginning and we weren't involved... No one really believed that the Japanese would start a war with an attack on the distant island of Hawaii. So it was this it was this base basically. Yeah. That was supposed to be just kind of an innocuous low-key. We have some folks here, we have some ships here, we have some planes here.
2: Yeah. This wasn't supposed to be like the base. No, no. They I mean they we'll talk about it later, but a lot of the like equipment and aircraft carriers and all of that that were in use for the war like were out other places right. you know and this is i mean it's like why would you it's so far away from where the rest of the war is happening in the world right like, why would you attack this place pearl harbor and so yeah it shocked i mean that was one of the most shocking things i think that they were like why here why here exactly additionally
1: american intelligence officials were confident that any Japanese attack would take place in one of the relatively nearby European colonies in the South Pacific, such as the Dutch East Indies, Singapore, or Indochina. Because American military leaders were not expecting an attack so close to home, the naval facilities at Pearl Harbor were relatively undefended. Almost the entire Pacific fleet was moored around Ford Island in the harbor and hundreds of airplanes were squeezed into adjacent airfields. So it's one of those things where the Japanese really just caught us flat-footed. Yeah, they caught they, us off like, guard. It just never crossed anybody's mind that there was any interest in Pearl Harbor. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, I I get it, but also I'm just looking at the American officials being like, we didn't even... It didn't cross our minds at all? <laughs> like, not even a passing, like, oh, look at
2: all this military like, stuff Like, do you we think have. Pearl Harbor's okay? The naval like, stuff. Do you like, you think... You know, it's like yeah. leaving your door unlocked. Like, it's probably, yeah. probably fine. It's probably like, fine. I don't know. It is the city. Right. Like, maybe just a lock. You know? Maybe not a deadbolt. No. Yeah. Just a lock. Just, you know. Just a gentle lock. Just a gentle yeah,
1: lock. Yeah, it's... I mean, we... <laughs> I guess this is why, you know, this... This war I mean, this war was so profound for so many reasons, but I think I think how we thought about attacks and fighting and strategizing and all of that changed so significantly yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. over this war. Because yeah, in World War One, Pearl Harbor probably wouldn't have been thought about by the Japanese. And and I think that when World War II started coming around, what was so shocking about – one of the things that was so shocking about it was that the way we fought wars changed so drastically. Right. Like, we have machinery. We have airplanes in a way we've never had really before. Mm -hmm. You know, battleships are really starting to come into kind of their renaissance. Mhm. So the whole landscape of it changed and I think we as the US had to adapt incredibly quickly. Yeah. And say, "Oh my god. Okay. Okay. We are okay. doing this from the air now, I guess." Right. Crazy.
2: It is it is crazy to think just about the differences between the two world wars and the way that we fought them. Yeah. I mean, World War 1 still had horses. I mean, World War like, 1 was we were were trenches. people were still on horses in World yeah. War 1. Yeah. So, like we said before, I found it super interesting to learn about why the Japanese were mad at us and why we John. were not happy with them. So, we're going to talk a little bit about the history between the two countries. A lot of it had to, deal, had to do with Japan, you know, wanting to expand their empire and the various ways in which the U.S. was like, no, no, no. But then also, like, doing things on the underside that were basically, like kind of encouraging them not encouraging them but enabling them to to continue to build this empire sure so all of this actually is coming from the national world war ii museum it's a great website so here we go while japan's deadly assault on pearl harbor stunned americans its roots stretched back more than four decades As Japan industrialized during the 19th century, it sought to imitate Western countries like the United States, which had established colonies in Asia and the Pacific to secure natural resources and markets for their goods. So they're like trying to modernize and Westernize and Mm -hmm. like doing what everybody like all of the other nations have done, which is including us, which is like go go take other people's natural resources you know like correct correct and that you know not assigning any value judgment to that but then you know you can't be angry at a country when they also want to do the thing that you've been doing right
1: right well it's classic us right it's do as i say not as i do
2: yeah yeah exactly love it you dot s dot Japan's process of imperial expansion, however, put it on a collision course with the United States, particularly in relationship to China. While it the United comes States comes back to China. I know, it's always it China. It really does. So while the United States and Japan jockeyed peace- peaceably for influence in Eastern Asia for many years, the situation changed in 1931. That year, Japan took its first step toward building a Japanese empire in Eastern Asia by invading Manchuria. Which was a fertile, resource-rich province in northern China, but the United States refused to recognize this new uh, regime in Manchuria in northern China, and they also refused to recognize any other any other regime that was forced upon China under the Stimson Doctrine. So it's kind of like what we do, what we did with Israel, Palestine. Like, right. You know, it's it like it, to recognize a government means to give – or what's the one – It's to legitimize it Ta- them, really. It's to legitimize them. But there's another one that's still – is it Taiwan? I think it's Taiwan. Um, yes. There's another one that like Ta- – Yes. Yeah, there's, there's a government and it's very like – if you recognize this, the government that is recognized by some other locations or other countries, that legitimizes them. But then that also puts you in hot water with the country that, want, that thinks it also is in charge. You know, it's like – Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's what the...
1: And especially for the United States to recognize somebody, Yeah. that's, I would say probably there's two countries that have the most influence over recognizing legitimacy of new powers, and that's the United States and China.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And if one of them recognizes you, it gives a
2: lot of validity. A lot of credential, To yeah. your claim. Yeah, 100%. But at the time, the United States would not recognize the Japanese empire and trying to take over Manchuria, and they, they did so under the Stimson doctrine, which took a principled stand in support of Chinese sovereignty and against increasing militaristic Japanese regime. On the other hand, it failed to bolster that stand with either material consequences for Japan or meaningful support for China. So they were just like, no, we're not going to recognize you, but that's basically all they did. Right. They didn't – it wasn't like, we're not going to recognize you, Japan, and also we're going to tax your imports at what you know, it's, there were no consequences. if you know. So wh- why would Japan stop doing it if they have this goal? Why would they stop right. trying to take over parts of China?
1: This was when we were in our little phase of not really being a part of any consequences for anybody yeah. invading yeah. other countries at will. This was just a part of that little trend where we were like, ugh stop. It's not our problem. Stop. Our problem. And they're like, okay, we'll stop. And then they didn't stop. Well, they didn't stop. Why would they stop? So, and no. then suddenly we're like, oh my God, you didn't stop? <laughs> right.
2: It's the proverbial After line in the sand.
1: specifically told you to?
2: Right, right, right. Yeah. So as Lizzie just alluded to, there was a powerful isolationist movement in the United States that felt that the nation had no business being in international conflicts that were developing around the world. This strong isolationist movement also influenced the initial U.S. approach to the war in Europe, where by the end of 1940, Nazi Germany controlled most of France, Central Europe, Scandinavia, and North Africa, and severely threatened Great Britain. So the U.S. is like, we don't want any part of this. La, 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 we don't see your you." Yeah. Meanwhile, Nazi Germany is taking over literally everything. Prioritizing the war in Europe over Japan's invasion of China, the United States allowed the sale of military supplies to Great Britain beginning in 1939. But neutrality laws and isolationist sentiment severely limited the extent of that aid prior to 1941. So we couldn't, like, we weren't helping Great Britain either. Like, they were no. clearly, like, you're clearly... Like, here's three guns. Good luck. <laughs> good good luck. Over here's, there. All right, here's a bomb, but fine. Yeah, we weren't, we, you know... we. Weren't taking a stand, but also like not giving support to our allies in the way that they needed. The war in Europe had another significant impact on the war in the Pacific because Germany's military successes unsettled the other European nations, Asian colonies. So the other countries in Europe who are being invaded by Nazi Germany, they also had Asian colonies. And because the United States was undermining this Stimson Doctrine and basically kind of enabling Japan to take over all of right. this was like what what were kind of firm footholds and in, in places around Asia now were very much kind of up for grabs and everything was shaky. So as Japan seized the opportunity to become the dominant imperial power in Asia, United States and Japan relations soured because, of course, they did. Sure, because of course, well, they did. yeah, it's basically like. The OG Cold War, <laughs> and, I mean, it, like truly, maybe like I a mean, lukewarm war, but like you know, we basically kind of ignored them, right?
1: You know, I think I mean, yeah, absolutely. We our playbook applied to both the European, I guess, theater and uh-huh. the Asian theater, and the result was exactly the same, which is there was one dominant force and in Europe, it was Germany, and Asia, it was japan they were operating by the same playbook which was pushing and pushing and pushing because nobody was giving them any real pushback. like push back there were no real yeah. consequences to the leading no. countries and so germany would go first and then free up a couple of asian countries and then japan would sue. i mean they were the perfect match yeah when you really think about it it yeah. was an incredible partnership
2: yeah So President Franklin Delano Roosevelt made an escalating move in the situation in July of 1940 when he cut off shipments of scrap iron, steel and aviation fuel to Japan, even as he allowed American oil to continue flowing to the empire. So he's like, you can't have these things, but you can have oil, which is like a huge like it's still a commodity that they need to like. They still need oil. (laughs) They still need oil, you know, even just for, you know, like either military purposes or for citizens or whatever, you know, they're still selling oil to Japan. Yep. Japan responded to FDR's move by limiting, by, you know, basically saying they couldn't have scrap iron, steel, or aviation fuel. I mean, basically he's like, you can't have things that could be used for military purposes, but you can have oil, which like. For your cars. For your cars. Japan responded by entering a resource-rich French Indochina with permission from the government of Nazi-occupied France and by cementing its alliance with Germany and Italy as a member of the Axis. So, like, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It was a great partnership because Germany and Italy went in and fucked shit up. And then mm-hmm. Japan came in and was like, thank you. We'll take this now. Thank you. Uh-huh.
1: Thank, you. Thank, you thank you for that, your help. I will thank take you that. Your help. Mm-hmm. And I will
2: take that. And I will take that. Yep. Roosevelt froze all of Japan's assets in the United States on July 26, 1941, which effectively cut off Japan's access to U.S. oil after Japan moved to prepare an attack against British Malaya and the Dutch East Indies. That move pushed Japan secretly to ready its southern operation, which was a massive military attack that would target Great Britain's large naval facility in Singapore and American installations in the Philippines and at Pearl Harbor, thus clearing a path for the conquest of the Dutch East Indies. So. Yeah. I mean, war's crazy, right? War's crazy. FDR finally put his foot down. And the Japanese are like, fuck you. Great.
1: We're going to bomb you now. We're going to bomb you. Because you you are preventing us from having oil. Yeah. It's wild. I know this is how, like, people respond in war, right? Where it's like, if you cut off supply, then that, that... warrants a military attack right but whoo man yeah we're gonna take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors
0: are you ready to shop Rakuten's big give week is back
1: So that is why Japan ultimately decided to attack on Pearl Harbor. So let's talk about the actual attack and what happened. So Japan's plan was very simple, which was simply destroy the Pacific fleet. That way, the Americans would not be able to fight back as Japan's armed forces spread across the South Pacific. On December 7th, after months of planning and practice, the Japanese launched their attack. So on December 7th, at about 8 a.m., Japanese planes filled the sky over Pearl Harbor. Bombs and bullets rained onto the vessels moored below. So like we said, there were a ton of vessels and a ton of planes just sitting out, you know, Basically waiting to be deployed somewhere, but it was like a storage facility almost, in a way, of ships and planes. At 8.10 a.m., a a 1,800-pound bomb smashed through the deck of the battleship USS Arizona and landed in her forward ammunition magazine. The ship exploded and sank with more than 1,000 men trapped inside. Next, torpedoes pierced the shells of the battleship USS Oklahoma with 400 sailors aboard. The Oklahoma lost her balance, rolled onto her side, and slipped underwater. Less than two hours later, the surprise attack was over. So, this was about from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., the whole attack happened. And every battleship at Pearl Harbor, and these are the battleships the USS Arizona, the USS Oklahoma, USS California, USS West Virginia, USS Utah, USS Maryland, USS Pennsylvania, USS Tennessee, and USS Nevada had sustained significant damage. All but the U.S. Arizona and USS Utah were eventually salvaged and repaired. In all, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor crippled or destroyed nearly 20 American ships and more than 300 airplanes Dry docks and airfields were likewise destroyed. Most importantly, 2,403 sailors, soldiers, and civilians were killed, and about 1,000 people were wounded. But the Japanese had failed to cripple the Pacific fleet. By the 1940s, battleships were no longer the most important naval vessels. Aircraft carriers were. And as it happened, all of the Pacific fleet's carriers were away from the base on December 7th so let's pause here yeah and just take all of that in yeah so wow <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean I just it's so simple yeah it really was just the sim I mean they they dropped a couple of bombs yeah nobody was prepared on the U.S. and it just caused an, an enormous amount of loss of life yep um, and you and, know, I, like, if you get into the nitty gritty, you hear about all the insane acts of heroism that yeah. happened in Pearl Harbor from basically soldiers trying to save other soldiers in battleships. Because that was, I mean, that's the other thing that I think we forget is that it's not like these ships were were docked and empty. No, like, no. these these sailors lived on these ships. Yeah. And, like, this was their barracks basically yeah it was there and it's eight in the morning yeah most are still on the ship you know you don't just like they have no reason to really go out other than to maybe go do military things or just go out and do civilian activities but otherwise they're just hanging out in their bunks yeah or in the canteen and and just waiting for to be deployed yeah
2: yeah and just I, i mean yeah, I mean, I think when I learned about Pearl Harbor in school, like we learned that there were, you know, people trapped when it was the, was it the Arizona or the Oklahoma, the one that capsized and you could like hear the, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, capsized. and you could hear the people like, yeah, yelling and scraping and you could hear, like, I just, uh, yeah, like yeah. that just. It's horrific. It's horrific. It's horrific. Yeah.
1: So, moreover, the Pearl Harbor assault had left the base's most vital onshore facilities, which were oil storage depots, repair shops, shipyards, and submarine docks, intact. And as a result, the U.S. Navy was able to rebound relatively quickly from the attack. President Franklin D. Roosevelt addressed a joint session of Congress on December 8th, the day after the crushing attack on Pearl Harbor, And he said, quote, and we probably recognize this quote, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. I believe I interpret the will of Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the utmost, but we will make very certain that this form of treachery shall never endanger us again. Yeah. So obviously... (laughs) As we all know, and I think <laughs> I agree with FDR and the government uh in its decision yeah. after the attack on Pearl Harbor, we were not isolationists anymore no, no. in World War II. No. We were now involved. Yep. Yeah. And thus began our uh engagement. Yeah. And,
2: you know actual combat. Right. I mean it's it's really I mean the it's not funny but interesting to think about if Japan hadn't attacked us, would we have gotten into the war? What would have right. happened? Like, I mean we had seen some serious shit go down. Like we knew what was happening and we didn't do anything. Right. It wasn't until we were attacked and people were angry. Yeah. That that mindset I shifted. I think
1: I think that probably, if I had to guess, I think we would have eventually become involved. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it would have been on the scale that it was out front, right? Right. Because Pearl right. Harbor had happened, and then we were like, "Okay, here's the draft. We are like actively sending every yep. eligible man." To yep. the front lines, like we are putting the full force of the United States into this war. yep, I think probably if Pearl Harbor hadn't have happened and it was just essentially like our European allies going up against the Nazis and then thusly, like Japan continuing its, you know, situation in in the uh, in the South Pacific, I think we probably would have been first way more active in sending Great Britain supplies i think yeah. that would have been our first thing yeah way before we would have sent our own people
2: oh i agree Yeah, i agree with that you know
1: what i mean like yeah. i think i think us sending soldiers would have happened i believe much later but i it would be hard for me to imagine a world in which we didn't eventually send people
2: right uh, yeah
1: based on what we knew uh like how, thing, uh, how, how bad things got you know yes I. Agree. i don't think we would have let great britain fall
2: no, I agree with that. I
1: agree and with that. And I think that should if it was looking like they were going to fall, I think that's when the United States would have stepped in cuz that would not have been in the best interest of the United States.
2: Well, that's the thing. It's like what it's you can only you can only sit back and watch for so long before the war starts coming to you in very real ways that right. you can't you can't avoid and whether that's in the form of a surprise attack. Right. That, you know, on on part of your Pacific fleet or on, an attack on a, a long on on a on a, a strong, you know, an amp, an ally with a with a large empire, you know, right. that's one of, like, the hegemonic countries of the time, right? You know, that's, you know, if they go down, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for the United States? So, I, yeah, I completely exactly. agree. Exactly, because it's yeah.
1: not as though we were on great terms with Germany as World War One. Oh had just yeah just wrapped yeah so the idea of germany being our biggest ally should great britain fall was not i don't think realistic no yeah and also i i do firmly believe that had japan not attacked the united states nazi germany absolutely would have Mm-hmm. At a different, I mean, time, they were close, probably a different way. I don't yeah. think it would have been Pearl Harbor because that doesn't make sense for them based on no. its location. But it would have absolutely been
2: something. Well, I mean, they had, didn't they have like, um like submarines and whatever, like basically off the coast of the United States, like that. Yes, like they were th- all it wasn't. In it wasn't, the wasn't like water. they were just over there across the pond. No, they were no, like no, no, very no, no. close. Oh, they to were us.
1: acting up in. Doing a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. And I think that they absolutely would have had an attack on the US. Yeah. I mean, you still Japan walk, just got got to it first, really. Yeah.
2: I mean, you walk around New York City and there are still I mean, like my old apartment that I lived in uptown, there are still, you know, signs on the buildings that are, you know, from from way back when that are like, you know, take place like if you like if you hear like take shelter in the bomb shelter. You know, like there was mm-hmm. like, there are still signs on New York buildings. It was, yeah, people were, people, you know, were starting to get afraid. You, once it starts coming to your shore, you can't continue to like turn your head.
1: So, back to the notes FDR gave this very famous speech to a joint session of Congress the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, essentially saying, I'm going to declare war on the Empire of Japan. And then, of course, on December 8th, Congress approved Roosevelt's declaration of war on Japan. Three days later, Japan's allies Germany and Italy declared war against the United States. For the second time, Congress reciprocated, declaring war on the European powers. More than two years after the start of World War II, the United States had entered the conflict. And thus began the Allies and the Axis powers. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and then we we were at war for some years, and then we were at war, and a lot. And of that it,
1: what what happened in that war, we will continue to
2: chip away about. Yes, yes. <laughs> World War to Two in forty five minutes is not entirely WW2. possible. But <laughs> yeah, but that's I mean, so that's the information on what Pearl Harbor was, why Japan and the United States were not friendly with one another, and why japan wanted to attack the united states what their goals were and then information on the attack itself and and the loss of life and the devastation like i said at the top there are some interesting and like warm it made my heart warm after doing the very sad notes some really lovely things that were in the the news about pearl harbor since the anniversary uh, was yesterday on the 7th so one the first one is coming from cnn And it's about a a Pearl Harbor survivor who's still alive. Wow. Yeah. His name is Ike Schaub, and he will be in attendance at the 80th Remembrance Ceremony this week, thanks to the help of his daughter and dozens of strangers who wanted to make sure he could be there. Ike, who's 101, told CNN he was on a docked ship when the attack occurred in 1941. He said, quote, I don't remember seeing the Arizona get hit, but I remember being at the bow of our ship and a big high tower of flame and debris came off her. He continues to say, it's getting harder to remember these things, but I remember trying not to get killed during the war, like most people.
1: He was 21 years old. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's that, crazy. And that's that's the other thing that I think we forget a lot is that, like, these soldiers, not just in Pearl Harbor, right, but in World War II and one in general – we between yeah. the ages of 18 and 25. They were... Like, they were young. Young. Young.
2: I mean... I, I Yeah. Not, I mean, not children. They're adults. But they're, you know, right. people with... Young adults. Full... Young adults. Full lives ahead of them. Right. Like, yeah. So crazy. So sad. But Ike is going to go to the 80th remembrance ceremony. And his daughter... He, because he's 101, he requires at least, like, two people, like, two medical companions, basically, to, like, mm-hmm. help him get around. And his family didn't have the the money on their own to send him and to pay for that. And so I think they had gone to some kind of, like, nonprofit, and that nonprofit was mm-hmm. going to help them, and then they couldn't. And so basically the daughter was like, let's do a GoFundMe, and they raised some amount of money that basically ensured that he could go And he could take three people with him to help him get around and to be there, which is really wonderful. The other one is about the USS Oklahoma Project. Mm. So one of the things that I didn't realize was that there are like unidentified remains left over. So the USS Oklahoma Project... Uh, set out to identify as many remains as they could from the USS Oklahoma. So in 2003, there were 394 sailors and Marines unaccounted for from the USS Oklahoma. The first of the USS Oklahoma unknowns who had been buried at the National Memorial Cemetery of the Pacific in Honolulu was disinterred that year in 2003. Between 2007 and 2010, Six identifications occurred from this disinterment and an additional disinterment of a single unknown soldier. The USS Oklahoma project was officially launched in 2015 and the rest of the USS Oklahoma unknowns were disinterred in the second half of that year. So in, in 2015, so they've got like a little more over a hundred to, to do. Yeah. The USS Oklahoma project was initially considered a long shot and that so that, so much so that it almost didn't happen. Even after the approval to move ahead was granted, investigators confronted obstacles that forced them to pursue path-breaking techniques for separating, matching, and identifying the commingled remains of men lost in such conditions that it was thought not possible. Ultimately, investigators were able to identify 361 of the 394 crew members. The project has also buoyed hopes of identifying crew members from other Navy ships sunk at Pearl Harbor, including 45 men aboard the USS California and the, and the USS West Virginia. This is important. I'm really happy that we get to say this. So those who have a family member who are who is unaccounted for from the USS Oklahoma or any of the other ships lost on December 7th. That's why I'm going to cry. It's okay. <sighs> Do it. Do it. Ah, I'm so close. I'm so You're close. You're doing great. Ah. <sighs> okay. Or any of the other ships lost on December 7th, 1941 can contact the Navy Casualty Office at 1-800-443-9298. That's 1-800-443-9298 to find out if there is a family reference sample on file for their family. And if there isn't, the Navy Casualty Office can help collect that sample
1: that's great that's so great especially yeah. now with like what we can do with yeah dna and all of that i mean yep. i'm it makes me hopeful that the at least i guess 33 remaining unknowns from the uh uss oklahoma and you know the the rest from the other battleships yeah i hope we can close that gap yeah just because we have technology that we didn't even have five years ago yeah exactly so it's definitely worth if you do have a family member uh or you know like a, di- a distant <laughs> person that you know was a pro. like if it's not even necessarily an emotional thing for you because it's your great great uncle or something like that I still think it's worth you yeah contacting this office and just yeah. seeing because they definitely deserve to be identified.
2: They do. They do.
1: So we're going to close this out. And I know I talked a little bit about this, just my personal experience, but we're going to close this out talking about the Pearl Harbor historic sites. And, you know, what if you do go to Pearl Harbor, some of the things that you can expect to see. So um, the first is the USS Arizona Memorial. The USS Arizona Memorial is built over the remains of the sunken battleship USS Arizona, the final resting place for many of the 1,177 crewmen killed on December 7th when their ship was bombed by Japanese naval forces. This loss of life represents over half of the Americans killed during the worst naval disaster in American history. So of the attack at Pearl Harbor, over half of them died on this one battleship. Oof. The next historic site is the Battleship Missouri. Weighing over 58,000 tons and measuring just over 900 feet from bow to stern, the USS Missouri is a hulking, awe-inspiring behemoth of a ship. A true force to be reckoned with in her prime, today the now peaceful giant stands silent guard over Pearl Harbor. The Mighty Mo, as she's called, was the last American battleship ever built and the last to be decommissioned? The surrender of the Japanese on the deck of the Missouri brought the Second World War to an end and remains one of the most oppressive highlights in her illustrious 50 year career, which spanned three dec- five decades and three wars. So this battleship is not, it didn't get completely sunk. The next historic site is the Pacific Fleet Submarine Museum. The Pacific Fleet Submarine Museum is one of the few museums in the world where visitors can learn about the history of the U.S. Navy's submarine force, the silent service during World War II, the Cold War, and today and into the future. I submarines freak me out so much. So much. I know. I know that they are necessary mm-hmm. to whatever it is we do uh-huh. as far as combat goes, but you will not catch me on a submarine. Mm-mm. No. And then the last Pearl Harbor historic site is the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum. Spanning two World War II-era hangars, one iconic control tower, and home to dozens of aircrafts, the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum has the distinct honor of stewarding America's first aviation battlefield of World War II. The museum leverages the aircraft that first rose up in defense of Ford Island during the infamous December 7th attack along with artifacts and personal stories to share the impact and response to the attack on Pearl Harbor and the Pacific region battles that followed. So those are a couple of different places that you can visit. The one that I obviously went to was the uh, USS Arizona Memorial. That's all within like the Pearl Harbor like site. Like I distinctly remember taking a picture. I wonder if I still have it. But um, from one of the battlefields, battlefields, battleships that is sunken in in the water. Mm-hmm. Like I said at the top, oil is still kind of seeping out of it. And I remember taking a picture of the water mm. to like remember the oil because for right. some reason at seventeen I thought that was significant. So I'm gonna okay. see if I can find that and like the other pictures that I took that I'm sure are yes. horrifically curated, but.
2: But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought that you would have needed those photos? I know. 10 years later. I remember looking through them
1: and being like, oh, so stupid. I took all these random photos of, you know, water.
2: <laughs> I would have done the same. I mean, honestly, today at 36, I would probably still do the yeah. same thing because that's, I mean, and I would take a picture of the oil because it does give you a sense of like, it's been how many years? And, and it's still, it's yeah. it's still actively happening. This is still yeah. an active site and a place yeah. where people – this is a burial ground, you know? Like right. all of that is very much, I think, is most, very prescient. Because
1: most sites, like even even nine eleven, right? It's like it's cleaned up. Yeah. You know? I mean, yes, there's the museum where you can go and see some of the wreckage, but the site itself – if you lived under a rock and didn't know, you know, you would see this, you would see the kind of the the water, the waterfall thing that they have now for the, the where the two towers once stood. Yeah. And, but you wouldn't really see the, the wreckage. No, I mean, it's but the same. It, yeah. I was yeah. just going to say, but at Pearl Harbor, you see it still. Right. Like it's still there. Right. Right. Like normally, this stuff is supposed to be cleaned up, and you're just supposed to look at like a wall with people's names on it and go, right. oh, man, I wonder what this looked like. How crazy.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the same so. the, the like the the beaches in Normandy, I mean, there's it's just right. a mass mass cemetery, massive cemetery now. But you can still see. I think why it, it feels so still present and active is because you still like the big ruts the big holes that were made Mm -hmm. in the ground from the bombs like you know and all the air the gunfire and all of that are still there they didn't they weren't filled in it's not flat like and all of the like the the bunkers that the germans had constructed are still there so it still feels exactly like that it feels like an active site and you know we went over the summer we went on a, a road trip and we went uh we went to oklahoma city and we saw the we went to the site of the oklahoma city bombing um and it's exactly you know like what you're talking about with the with the 911 memorial like it's beautiful and it's peaceful and there's like you know sec- like sections of you know there's two basically kind of two memorials like the people who died and then there's like a little section mm-hmm. for the kids and like it's just it's so heartbreaking but because, but it has, you know, it's cleaned up, it's not wreckage, you know, and and it just feels like, you know, when you're looking at a site that still looks in some way similar to the way it would have looked when the horrible event happened, you know, like, it's just, it just hits you a little bit harder, I think.
1: I agree. Yeah. Okay. I know this one was a tough one, Uh, and (laughs) rightly so. I mean, it's a, it's a, really horrible event you know yeah. it's uh, you don't you never you never want to talk about these things but i think it's good that we talk about it because i do yeah. think that it i mean as we we know it was a catalyst in us becoming involved in one of the most i think mm-hmm. the most important war in american history i'd say even almost more so than the the war of independence in some ways <laughs> because yeah. i mean what was on the stake what was at stake was just as as we knew later, was so much more profound yeah. than if we could be a nation or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. So appreciate you all staying with us on this yeah. journey. Like we said, we have one more episode next week. We're going to try to end it on, you know, uh, a high and do a fun episode, maybe one that we've talked about doing for forever or one of our big fun fact episodes. We're going to cook something up this week for you. And yeah, It's going to be great. So in the meantime, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, you can rate, review, or subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday.
2: Goodbye.